0: Is let your voice be heard right here on WHCR ninety point three FM the voice of Harlem.
1: Came in like a wrecking ball. I never end so hard in love. All I wanted was to break your walls. All you ever did was
0: break- That was completely ugly, <laughs> guys. So speaking of wrecking balls. We're going to start the show off talking about how Donald Trump has wrecked the GOP. Now, that may be now, debatable. Listen. We have a very special <laughs> guest who I will introduce in just a few moments. Let me give you some context on why we decided to start this segment off with Miley Cyrus's wrecking ball because if you ask me, I can see Donald Trump like sitting on that ball and just coming re- pounding right into the Republican Party <laughs> and now we see the results.
2: Grabbing it by the
0: it, right, except for he wasn't naked like Molly Cyrus was. Okay, so, you know, as I've been saying, we're going to start the conversation, start the show by talking about the deep divide and the GOP. As we know, we are in the home stretch of what may go down as the weirdest election in U.S. history. Both presidential candidates have remarkably high, unfavorable ratings, but only one has proven himself to be xenophobic tax evading, a misogynist, and he happens to appeal to the KKK. Now, back in August, we here on Let Your Voice Be Heard talked about how Trump's candidacy has also given rise to the racist, sexist, anti-immigrant, anti-Semitic pocket in the Republican Party known as the alt-right. We had a good show. You remember that, Alyssa? Yeah, it was a good show. It was. So in addition to seeing this ugly side of politics, the election has caused severe damage inside of the GOP party, which has a very tortured relationship with its own nominee, to say the least. So on one hand, even though Trump has... Uh, been renounced by Republican leaders like Senator John McCain, um, Paul Ryan, et cetera. Um, It almost helps him in a way because it sort of um, positions him as that anti-establishment candidate, which a lot of voters in the GOP um, find to be very appealing. But, you know, when he's tweeting at Paul Ryan and taking shots at, you know, John McCain and doing other things, it it shows that, you know, this is not the same Republican Party we once saw. This is no longer the party of Ronald Reagan. Now, it also seems to be a party of predominantly white nationalists and uneducated white folks who are supporting Donald Trump. Now. There are still a lot of GOP members who are a part of the Republican Party because of, you know, their views on economics and smaller government. But from, you know, my experience, my readings, I find that some of them feel like they don't want to be connected to Donald Trump because of his inflammatory language. It is also so Donald Trump's candidacy has also put congressional Republicans in a bit of a bind, too, because on one hand, you have um, about two thirds of GOP voters saying that they will continue to support Donald Trump, even despite his comments about grabbing women by the genitals. And then you have um, And then but in the same token, on the same hand, um, some of them are saying they don't they're scared to go against Donald Trump because they have he's has so much support. And then the the ones that do go against him um, find that, you know, sometimes it can go either way with their constituents, whether they support him or not. So experts on top of that, experts say that whether or not Donald Trump miraculously wins the White House, I personally don't think that he will, according to polls. But if he does, he may have, you know, put a stain on the republican party forevermore and he will reshape what it means to be a republican but if he loses it seems like the republican party may just come crashing down because he's a wrecking ball so we have (laughs) (laughs) a very special guest who i will Now, introduce... Thanks
2: for explaining the wrecking ball thing. (laughs) It's really helpful.
0: What? What? I don't... What do you mean by that? I'm just
2: teasing you, Selena.
0: Okay. Anyway, so we have John Burnett, who is a Republican strategist. He's an entrepreneur. He's also a former candidate for the New York City Comptroller. He's a Harlem resident and, FYI, a contributor to Black Enterprise Magazine. Welcome to the show, John. Thank you. So
3: after such a <laughs> wrecking ball type of <laughs> intro, before the intro,
0: right, right. Well, it went on theme. It went on theme here. So, you know, we brought you in here because we want to talk about to assassinate. Um, no, no, not not to assassinate. We're going to no, be no, very no. fair. Is there a wrecking
3: ball behind me. Come on,
0: possibly, possibly. Not just kidding. So, um, you know, we brought you here to sort of um, explore the questions of where will the GOP go from here and can it survive? We know you are uh, a Republican strategist. You are also a black man for people who just happen to be listening. So your perspective is extremely valuable um, and unique in this conversation. So I wanted to start by sort of just asking, you know, when and how did this open rift between Donald Trump and the Republican Party begin?
3: I think the... The RIF actually is with the type of policies that have been implemented over the last, you know, uh, I'd say for quite some time. But specifically over the last eight years in terms of the lack of growth, the lack of new trade deals that are more advantageous to the U.S. economy, specifically the U.S. worker. So, you know, Donald Trump has been talking about, you know, the trade deficits that we've been running uh, for quite some time. Uh, I think there was a video on YouTube back then in the late 80s uh, when the trade deficit was approximately 140 billion. Now it's 800 billion. So when you continue to have that type of economy, the people that actually are hurt the worst are the everyday working people, whether you're a white suburbaner or someone uh, in the inner cities.
0: Right. So so how did that, you know, so I mean, so okay, so basically to get back to the rift and the fact that, you know, Paul Ryan has pretty much said that he will not be supporting or defending, you know, Donald Trump. And, you know, there's a lot when it comes to like the
3: Actually, he he is voting for him, just like uh, Congressman Chaffetz. Originally said that he was voting, then he said he wasn't voting, okay. and now he's back to I voting. Thought that he so, was
1: now voting for Mullins. The last I heard. Well, no, actually. they don't no, have a no.
3: backbone, so they flip flop. No, no, he's he's actually voting. No, I mean, you know, Trump did say some, uh, as you pointed out in your intro, uh, he did uh, make some inflammatory comments yes. ten years ago that disturbed everyone yeah. on both sides cool. on both sides of the aisle. But <clears throat> with that said. You know, as more and more information is coming out with respect to Hillary Clinton and her campaign, you know, it's causing some people to go back and forth. And I think there's a lot of people, even even independents, are confused between the two. You know, if if there was such a clear choice in this race... She would be up substantially in the polls. And we see that the polls are going up and down like the stock market on both sides. Yeah, they are. Is. They're going between 25 point lead <coughs> to a 20 point
2: lead. That really depends and
1: what <clears throat> polls you're looking at. And, right. like, I mean, right. I'm a political scientist by trade before I even became a lawyer. And so you have to be able to weigh polls and rate polls. And right. that's what <clears throat> Nate Silver at 538 does such a good job of, which is providing both, you know, like the now cast, which is just looking at the polls unweighted versus looking at the polls. I mean, the latest polls that have come out show that. You know, she's way ahead. But I mean, I know we're not really here to talk about Hillary Clinton, so I don't want to spend. I'm just curious. I mean, like the latest tracking poll shows her 12 points up. Nonetheless, we're not here to talk about Hillary Clinton. We're here to talk about the divide in the Republican Party. And I think this has been a long time coming because you have a situation where you have two different types of interests in the Republican Party. You have people who have money and corporate interests in a party with lower income white people who are generally speaking come from the South that are. Are interested in issues of social importance such as gay marriage, abortion, guns, and now you're trying to put these two groups together, and you have these disaffected white people that don't like trade deals. I mean, that like they they're against trade deals. They've come out against trade deals, and that's then
3: fundamentally have, inaccurate. And then because have, because we're for trade deals. No, right? I didn't people, say you. I didn't say, say you. Even, even them, they're for trade deals. No, they're not. But, but trade deals are not but, for but trade, trade deals. Oh, deals no but trade deals on uh, that benefit. The American worker, even union workers, like the one that George so, Bush so, so that's negotiated that's
2: that Bill Clinton signed, like the matter trade deal.
3: No, you well, you know, he didn't have to sign it. He yeah, you're have right, to but it. a
2: Republican didn't negotiate that deal, and it was pretty much finalized, and Clinton came in and signed it, and Trump has been very critical of that deal. Right. So what you're saying is that George? Bush I mean, many people have been of
3: Matthew Matthew critical Matthew of that deal, as they should.
2: Yes, yes. So here's uh, my just just like
3: they're critical of TPP, which Obama is presenting. Yes, which, which would actually be. Ten times worse than NAFTA, according to what? So here's here's my issue of here. According can, to analysis,
2: I can, I can walk and chew gum even the same even time. Bernie
3: Sanders, of- even Bernie Sanders have come out. Against that And Bernie Sanders Had a huge Millennial following As you had mentioned In your intro So John I so, have an so, issue so over so here
2: So I can walk into a gum I don't think the Republican Party can First let's do one can thing it? This is not a policy thing This is a race thing The Republicans The reason they're, they're, they're Imploding right now Is because When Nixon ran for president They embraced a Southern strategy Which meant They were going after Racist white Democrats Dixiecrats Who left the Democratic Party Because what of affirmative What year are you talking This about? is 1969, 1970 Well let's go back so to nineteen sixty. Hold time time just a second. Just, it, time time. just a second. Okay. So now they went over there. Ronald Reagan embraced this sudden strategy and used dog whistle politics. And since then, every single Republican has used coded language and pushed policies that have been not good for poor people, but have painted the Democrats as the devils. The last eight years, we have seen the Republican Party paint Obama as this antichrist and horrible human being. So Donald Trump is pretty much just what you would get when you tell your base every single day for, what, 30-some years that the devil is on the other side. Now when we 're talking about the trade deals, not that was negotiated by George Bush, Bill Clinton did not need to sign it, but he did, and we didn 't hear any Republican complaints about it until Donald Trump. Donald Trump says something inflammatory every single day to say that there 's not a clear difference between the two things between the two people is like saying whiskey and water are the same one's delicious no, I and said, one's hold, i said there's hold
3: there's on, just riff to bring on it, both sides that well there's like a ton of on. inaccuracies in that statement hold but. on
0: just to just to bring <laughs> it back it's just to bring the conversation back um you know what stanley has said you know actually did lead me to, to the next question because i wanted to pretty much examine how donald trump even um gained so much popularity um i mean when we think about What the Republicans have been saying, they particularly don't like him. He seems to feed off of their fodder and continue to have built his base. And, you know, what Stanley just said is he was able to do this because of his inflammatory remarks and the fact that he's feeding into a lot of fear, propaganda, racism, xenophobia. Now, do you agree or disagree?
3: Let's talk specifics. I mean, there's been a lot of things thrown out there. And before we go into that, I just want to address one comment that he, that he made. I have to, because, because it's fundamentally false. When you go back to uh, 1957, that was the time when the first civil rights bill was presented under a uh, Republican president, Eisenhower. Eisenhower. Lyndon Bain Johnson, President Lyndon Bain Johnson, was head of the Senate. He pushed it back down into the racist Democratic senators who stripped it of the of the voting rights and other things and when it came back up it was it was virtually worthless. Then later on in nineteen sixty four, the same racist, mm-hmm. the same person that was part of that strategy, southern strategy that you mentioned, mm-hmm. actually signed the civil rights bill. Um, so so you give so, me So a so on, so on. so 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 I'm following that mm-hmm. sa- in that same vein. you you went to 1968, 1969. eight, nineteen sixty nine. I'm just going back a little bit further Talking about Lyndon Bain Johnson. So, 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 the, so the point here is that there are issues on both sides of the aisle and in and, and the urban community oftentimes engages into the type of divisive type of comments and commentary on both sides instead of invoking a strategy and an agenda for both sides. Whether a Republican or Democrat gets into office, that empowers our people. We're accepting, we're accepting an agenda that's always given to
2: us. You give some really great talking points. i got to compliment you on that. And You do a great job of screwing garbage into sensible stuff. You are absolutely correct with that history lesson that LBJ did push back the first, the original Civil Rights Bill of 1957. And ended up signing it. Yeah, absolutely. In a is, racist. No. Eisenhower and actually Malcolm X. for the for listeners, they need they need to so Google John, on John, YouTube. John, I'm, I'm gonna, gonna say to do, Google, Google on
3: YouTube, right? Political chumps
1: Guys, by you, Malcolm really by not Malcolm not here, X to, to really relate. understand
3: the history.
2: So, John, what I need you to do is we, so we have this thing on the radio when one person's speaking and the other one isn't. So right. I need you to follow that rule. I know it's difficult. Republicans don't like logic, but we have to follow well, this you right gotta now. Spit, you gotta spit so facts. here's what we're doing, here's what we're gonna talk about right now. So mm-hmm. you're absolutely right. LBJ did push back on that right. bill in nineteen fifty seven. In nineteen sixty five, he signed a bill that was negotiated by Democrats and Republicans. Was it a perfect bill? No. Was it a bill that was helpful? Yes. Have Republicans fought the push it back ever since then? Absolutely. And did Democrats leave the Democratic Party because of the bill and go to the Republican Party because they were more sympathetic to their racist feelings? Absolutely. And since then, have we seen a large influx of more racist people hanging with the Republican Party, including, I don't know, Breitbart or the KKK or the David Dukes? Or
3: what we've the seen Trumps? is that what we've seen are tons of policies, liberal policies that claim to empower black people, mm-hmm. but have since that time destroyed black people, even the 94 crime bill. And in uh, a ton of other bills that 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 at the time, black leaders let a lot of this legislation pass through. And now we're looking back 20 years later, 22 years later and saying that, you know what, that decimated our community. So, again, there are issues on both sides of the aisle. The issue here is that blacks need to imp- need to come together in, in, in terms of the intellectuals and, and, and craft a policy and agenda and an agenda. That's created by ourselves.
0: We're gonna and not ha- by
3: either side.
0: We're gonna have to leave it there because we do need to ha- go to a quick break but don't go anywhere. We'll continue the conversation about the Republican divide right here and let your voice be heard
3: the notorious just
0: And we are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHTR 90.3 FM. When we walked in... It was really hot, (laughs) and I think that it was just an omen that hell was about to rise in the studio. Hey, that's what happened. So, guys, um, when we left off of break, uh, we were talking about the Civil War in the GOP. We have with us in studio very special guest, John Burnett, who is a Republican strategist, an entrepreneur, and also a former candidate who ran right here in New York City for the comptroller position. So, you know, we wanted to pretty much uncover why there is a split in the GOP. Um, right now. And, you know, this is something that they have admitted. I mean, Donald Trump has said it himself, like there's a divide. He is very anti-establishment, especially when it comes to people like Paul Ryan and other Republican leaders. So, you know, we talked about how this happened. Obviously, we have extremely different viewpoints and perspectives, but somewhere, somehow, I think we could be able to find common ground. Um, You know, I wanted to now talk about if uh, 2016 And the rise of Donald Trump kind of symbolizes some type of uh, paradigm shift for Republicans. I mean, he is a very different type of Republican. I'm going to throw that question at John. Alyssa can answer um, following and then we'll go to Stanley in that order. Yes.
3: What's your specific question?
0: Yes. Is there does Donald Trump represent a paradigm shift? Is he you know, he's a different type of Republican. Is he shifting the Republican Party at all? Your thoughts on that?
3: Well, I think he's he's challenging not only the Republican Party, but he's challenging the status quo and how we're operating as a country. And I think there are certain factions within the Republican Party as well as the Democratic Party and and the political system in, in, in its entirety that are pushing back on this because he's going to remove a lot of people's cheese throughout the entire system. So I think people are pushing back. He's threatening to expose a lot of things. And I think that's a threat to both sides. And I think when you look at uh, the, the, the following that he's able to amass, that is similar to what Bernie Sanders was able to do. He was speaking to those individuals that felt disenfranchised, felt that the system was rigged against them. So I think when you look at it, even though they're on opposite sides of the spectrum, they both tapped into that spirit. Now, the difference here is that uh, Donald Trump is not caving in to a lot of the establishment requests, although Bernie Sanders did. So I think if Bernie Sanders, in following that same vein, if he would have continued down that path to try to steer things the way, you know, toward his vision then I think you'd see the same elements on the other side of the aisle.
1: Alyssa? Right. I mean, listen, I just think that like this, I, uh, I, this is, Donald Trump is what has grown out of the Fox News and the Breitbart and, uh, and Drudge Report and all these things. I mean, listen, even, let, let's talk for a second, right? David Brooks, okay? David Brooks is one of the most conservative writers that the New York Times has. He has an article out today that addresses this directly. He said that dominant conservative voices had tried to win appeal to people by the millions. In order to do that, they had to use mass media and they had to Perpetuate hysteria and appeal to simple mindedness. And in doing so, they found their mass right wing audience. And what they did on the other side, though, is they made themselves offensive to people who value education. And and so what has happened is, is in search of going down this market based thing. And this is coming from David Brooks, not even from me. They ended up getting swallowed up by their own anti-intellectual media complex, and that's what he says. He says, quote, from Beck to Palin to Trump, and that's why Hillary Clinton is winning amongst white college graduates by 52 percent, because this is exactly what has grown out of the anti-intellectualism wing of the Republican Party. Now, that is not to say there are not smart and intellectual people that still consider themselves Republicans and still value the free market and still value small government. But the problem is those people, people like yourself, you guys are in a really small boat compared to a large group of people that are now being targeted by the Republican Party that are not intellectual. I mean, Donald Trump admitted it. He basically said that he loves the undereducated. He loves the stupid people. Why? Because stupid people are easier to control. And that just speaks to this divide that's going on in the Republican Party. And even, like I said, David Brooks, who's super conservative and an intellectual, recognizes that there is a gap between the intellectuals in the Republican Party who value the free market and value small government and people in the Republican Party who have followed Trump down this road to mass right wing hysteria. And that is a big problem for the Republican Party going forward, even after this election, and especially if Trump loses, which he's likely to do. So Stanley, and then we'll go to
0: the caller.
2: Yeah, so we do have a call on the line. So okay. I'll try to be quick. Um, I think Alyssa hit the nail on the head right there. The Republican Party has been fermenting and kind of like flirting with this this extreme right fringe group for years, and is. Donald Trump is pretty much what you get after you spend years saying that the government is trying to take your guns, that the President of the United States is a Kenyan Muslim who is not really a U.S. citizen. When you say that legislation will destroy lives, this is, this is what you're going to get. So this isn't a, a coming, this isn't the coming to Jesus moment for the Republican Party. This isn't some big difference. The only problem that I think Republicans really have with Donald Trump is that he's saying all this stuff out loud and he's not sticking to the usual dog whistle politics. Because if you looked at other Republican candidates, they've said things along these lines, they said it a lot nicer and a lot smarter. I think the biggest issue here is that the establishment, the people who are supposed to be the intellectuals, they're standing by Trump. The Paul Ryans, who are supposed to be the thought leaders, they're standing by him. They're still voting for him even though it's very clear he doesn't have a plan. So when, when and hopefully when the Republicans lose on November 8th, where Donald Trump loses, and hopefully by a large amount, we are going to have a lot of problems because the same people the Republicans have been fermenting for years are now at full growth and they're ready to start some serious issues. We're
0: going to talk about that after this caller who would like to let their voice be heard. Who do we have online? line?
2: We have Gregory. Gregory?
0: Yes,
4: good afternoon. This is Greg. Can you hear me?
0: Yes, yes we, we can, can hear, hear you.
4: you. Okay, I was a little stay. I was really a little uh, peeved before uh Stanley's just stole a itty bitty a month under. Stop thief. <laughs> no, you know what it is? You know what? They're right. Donald Donald's right. And he's too, because of the fact that he talks about uh, ignorant people and people who don't don't seem to really get it, you know, he plays on that. And is there any, if there's any black folks listening, you if Donald gets in there, you black vote you black people have voted him in there because of the simple fact that you were so, so strung out on the Democrat, 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 that you did not look, open your eyes and look at this other uh, options, you know. And what happened is now you get down to less itty-bitty, and this is all you have. These are the only shows you have. When you could have been supporting, you could have been supporting other candidates all the time, nominating other people and, and, and funding other people. This is what you get,
0: Thank you so much, Gary, for uh, calling in and letting your voice be heard on the topic. Um, you know, before we um. Had that short little break. Stanley talked about the the anti-establishment base, which is rising, and I wanted to talk about that because should Donald Trump not win the election, we still have a strong break, a strong base, and that strong faction growing within the party, and they seem like they're very hard to control. They're very hard to manage, and um, they're pretty significant. And also, you know, we've seen something like this happen when we had the Tea Party come in back in uh, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, and they sort of took control. And then because they were very, a very loud voice in the Republican Party, they got a lot of a lot of their demands passed and a lot of their candidates elected
1: in um, congressional districts. Right. And it didn't even match with real conservatism. I mean, some of the demands
3: were were passed.
1: I mean, so curious. Well, when I speak of that like, like the, John Boehner was pushed out, for example, is one thing that they that they happen to accomplish. But what I was going to say is, a lot of these Tea Party people don't even value. And John
3: uh, Reed was pissed off. I mean, uh,
1: don't uh, even jive with I mean, real conservative values. I mean, it's small. Uh, like you're talking about small government, and you have people in the Tea Party that are pushing policies that are not small government and have a a, a total misunderstanding of what the difference is between small government and with with, with government being what in policies
3: are they pushing like
1: for example with respect to um the uh um I'm losing it. Uh, okay. So this was not Congress, but I'll give you a perfect example. Like vaginal wands, like in, in the context of OB- OBGYN and women's health decisions. That's not small government. The government telling your doctor that they have to give you a procedure that you don't actually need is not small government at all. That's so, the so government in int-
3: I'm, I'm saying confused. a lot of
1: the Tea Party people were pushing policies. Like you asked me to give an example. A lot of Tea Party people were pushing policies that didn't match up with actual small governance. Nonetheless, Conservative- but you can't
3: name one. Okay.
1: I well, just
0: named one. Well, thank you for that example, <laughs> Alyssa. I do want to talk more about that anti-establishment base. And I mean, well, do you think the anti the anti-establishment base that Donald Trump is pretty much spearheading at this point is a problem for the establishment Republicans?
3: I think I think it's going to cause uh people to actually figure out if if he if he does win. Uh, how do they work together? And I think the way to do that is to focus on common ground. I think there's more more things that uh, that's on Donald Trump's agenda that people actually agree with on both sides than not. Like what? Uh, like, you know, like, you know, I'll, I'll echo the words of the black congressional uh, leader of Texas. She's she's since passed away. But back in the uh, mid-90s, her name is Barbara Jordan. No, but what is, and she's what a, is Trump me, has? Don't interrupt me, bro. Let me finish. No, I'm just Let me finish. So what she was saying in the mid-1990s is that illegal in, uh, immigration mm-hmm. is actually destroying the low-skilled worker, especially in the inner cities. That was back then. And mm-hmm. she's a proud member, she was a proud member of Delta Sigma Theta sorority. So she was a strong black woman in Congress that pointed that, pointed that out clearly that there was an issue. And that was over 22 years ago. Since then, the problem has exacerbated. And the issue doesn't want to be dealt with. So I think, you know, when you look back also on what Hillary Clinton said in 2008, when she was running against Obama, she also advocated for a wall barrier or some type of, you know, a strong stance on the border to stop illegal immigration. But it's only when when Donald Trump said it during this particular run, that it's an issue. He said that's important. Well, Capitol. So, so some of the same things. And the, and, the, and the funny thing about it, people could actually Google this stuff, look at YouTube, and actually see All right. that, that, that Hillary Clinton said a lot of the same
2: things. John, we do
0: have some callers on our line. I want to yeah. let Stanley respond and then get to the callers. Really and that's just well, one example. On, just one John. example. Thank you. So,
2: You know, John, I don't know if you searched through Breitbart.google.com. It sounds like you do. Hillary did say she'd build a wall back then in 2008. She has (coughs) since gone back and said that was wrong. Thank you for the confession. Not confession, it's (laughs) confirming a fact. So now, Donald Trump has promised to deport 11 million people. And then he said Mexico would pay for it. And then the Mexican president said they would not. No one agrees with that except for Donald Trump and people from the far right. However, we do have to get to a caller because we do have two callers on the phone, on the line, who are pining to respond. So, Ms. Deborah, let your voice be heard.
5: Hi. I just wanted to know, because most of what I was wanted to say to you has already been said by Stanley and the other uh, young ladies. What has Donald Trump promised you?
3: He hasn't promised me anything.
5: No, I mean, you're so dogmatic about your beliefs about this man. I mean, this man has, people say, that, oh, he's built this and he's built that. There are people who have built buildings for him. People used to say, oh, we know who they are. They're the ones who don't have the hard hats. This man could care less about you or anybody else. He only cares about himself. And I'm going to tell you something else. You don't have to agree with the people there in the studio. That's the fun part of not agreeing, debating, and and exchanging. But you're very disrespectful. And if you were on Fox 5, you wouldn't
0: have gotten five seconds with your attitude. Thank you, Ms. Deborah. John. will give you a chance to respond, not to the personal um, remarks or attacks, but just to the other things she said.
3: Well, you know, the, the thing is, is that no one asked me who I was supporting from the very beginning. Um, I had three different options. However, you know, Donald Trump did win. And when you look at the Democratic side, there were other people wanting other options. Right. But this is what we have. These yeah, two, Why are in, you these, supporting Donald the, the, Trump? These two individuals. Why? And, and when I look at it, you know, I think Hillary will be more of the same. Um, The 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 lovely caller that just called in, she had mentioned that uh, in her opinion, Donald Trump only will only look out for himself. But when you look at the, the history of the Clintons, the the foundation, the pay to play and all these things that are coming out and the WikiLeaks emails, the only thing that they want to talk about is how the emails were obtained, but not the content so of the information. So you're supporting so you, so,
0: Trump because you well, don't want more of the Clintons? Well, is be, that pretty much it?
3: Be, be, because, one, it's about it's about strategy. No matter who wins, if Hillary wins, Donald Trump is actually an asset. He's the only one really talking about changing certain dynamics in the inner cities. The only one talking about that. Hillary hasn't really addressed that Affirmatively, with stopping first. No, no, I mean, there's certain issues on both sides. So, so stopping so, first is a good solution. Okay. So, well, we can't. So I not, guess you guys can interrupt. And I. Okay, no, I'm fine. just
2: asking a question. That's all. I, 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 so I
0: apologize. I, I'm, for I'm trying to make
3: a broader issue. You. You're trying. To, you're trying to stick to. Well,
0: we can't really talk about stopping first. I don't. Donald Trump supports that's, that's that. What well, no, like, what I'm saying, no, saying no is Donald stop stop Trump first. does support Donald Trump has
1: no plans. The reason you can't answer this question. I am answering the question. No, the reason you you originally asked why about certain plans that you're supporting and instead of saying which plans you were supporting you switched gears you started talking about some black republican woman down in texas who was in a sorority the reason you couldn't answer that question is because donald trump has not one plan donald trump's plans are build a wall how are you going to do it no idea do this how are you going to do it no idea that's why you can't answer the question that's why you're talking about a black republican down in texas because you can't answer the question because uh, there uh, is no answer to the question i
2: was uh, John, um, Selena, <laughs> all right, John, quickly respond. We do have a caller. <laughs>
3: so, a quick let's response. get to the caller.
2: Okay, right, yeah. I mean, this is what happens when you don't use facts, John. I am using we do facts, you actually online. confirmed it.
5: Will, let your voice be heard. Hey, how you doing? What do you about Um, you know, the the low wage work is is affected by uh immigration, illegal immigration. They're affected by outsourcing and by automation. We don't look at that as a a real important factor, but it's a big factor. Um, the other thing about him tearing up the uh the Republican Party, see he thought he would be well received. His vision of himself is different than, you know, the 1% see him. He thought he was a part of that and embarrassed him in front of the world, his family, everybody. You know, so he went on the hunt like we are afraid he might do once he's in the presidency. That's one of his picks, all right? That's his problem. Um, As far as the black community in this situation, I think if we put him in, I'm afraid he would appoint Giuliani as an attorney general, which would really mess us up legally, you know, with these cases we got going. And um, he would appoint people to the Supreme Court that, might really mess things up. So we really have to be careful of that. We have to look at where we are as black people right now. I know we need an agenda. All right. But right now, 10 days away, that ain't going to happen. So we have to look at what we got now.
0: Thank you so much will that- for letting your voice be heard, guys. If you're listening and you want to chime in again, the number is 212-650-6903. Tweet us at Heard underscore radio. We do have to take a quick break, but we will come back and continue the conversation about the Republican divide, a.k.a. the civil war in the GOP right here on Let Your Voice Be Heard. I feel like a <laughs>
2: black Republican facts. I don't have. I'm standing here talking about things that make no sense. Just kidding. We are back on. Let your voice be heard on 90.3 FM WH. See all the voice of Harlem. Selena's going to kill me. I'm going to throw it to her.
0: Well, thank you for that, guys. So um, before we left off, we were speaking about the the civil war within the GOP. Um, Ever since Donald Trump's popularity has skyrocketed, um, so has pretty much this horrible relationship that he has with the establishment and the fact of the matter is once donald trump loses the election he's going to launch trump tv go on write some more books uh build some more building buildings and continue to uh, make millions and billions of dollars probably without paying taxes that's debatable but right because he hasn't released his tax returns but besides that you know where has he left the republican party itself we know that he has decided not to help fundraise for other congressional republicans in the district which is also you know another slap in the face but um before for the we last end,
3: week or so of the of, of the
0: well before the general
3: election i just want to make sure there been clarity okay because okay. fifteen thousand dollars last month so okay, okay well thank you the, for the, just the, providing way that the way that statement will be heard by listeners that he's not done anything during the entire election cycle. So I just want to make sure that we actually, when we say statements, that we actually tell it in the full truth.
0: Okay. No, thank you for that. So, you know, I wanted to actually end by talking about where, what, well, actually, I'll get your predictions on um, what will happen after to the GOP after the 2016 election. Um, can they survive and actually thrive? Or do you think that this is something that's going to all fall, fall down? We'll start by um, throwing that question at John, then we'll go around in the panel.
3: You know, I think, I think they'll, uh, they'll definitely have some things to, to talk about in terms of a party, in terms of messaging, in terms of coalescing. Uh, and I'm saying that if, if Hillary wins, the fact that Hillary's in the White House cannot be the only thing that coalesced the party. It has to be a a comprehensive strategy to address all issues. And, you know, there's been a lot of topics in this campaign that has been discussed uh, on both sides that, you know, again, in addition to black America establishing their own agenda, I think the Republican Party needs to establish not only an an agenda, right, which it has on its platform, even criminal justice and other things are in there. But those things aren't talked about because, you know, in in, in the general media sense, the only thing they want to cover are certain negative things in the WikiLeaks emails or certain things that Donald Trump said 10 years ago. And neither of which is really going to really talk about certain things that people need to get past, like jobs, education, criminal justice reform, and small business, no matter what color you are.
1: Alyssa? Alyssa? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, speaking small, small businesses, Donald Trump surely likes to screw those people over. But anyways, I, like, I don't want to get into that. I want to address the divide itself and your question about whether or not this will be the end of the, the Republican Party. And I think there has to be, one, I'll say there has to be a reckoning. After the 2012 election, they realized that the demographics of the United States are changing, and they're changing rapidly, and the Latino population is growing, and the population of people of color are growing, and they needed to figure out a way uh, how to bring those people into the party and how to be the big tent party that they used to be. And this election has shown that they, I mean, for the most part, have not done a good job of doing that. Uh, you know, Donald Trump has alienated Muslims and Latinos and, you know, every uh, women and every other group under the sun. So they're going to have to, Republican Party's going to have to have a real reckoning about that. The second thing about that also speaks to the the Gary Johnson movement, which is you have a lot of young conservative people that in the Republican Party or who were Republicans Republicans and are now leaving the Republican Party to either become independents or join the Libertarian Party that are going to be voting for Gary Johnson. And they're going to be doing so because they believe in eth- an ethnically diverse country. They believe that gay marriage isn't the, you know, co- isn't causing climate change. And they, you know, they believe in, they may believe in small government policies and civil rights and fiscal conservatism, but they don't believe in a lot of the other things that now it seems that the Trump wing of the Republican Party believes. If you just look at some of the poll numbers right now like in a general election poll recently today Johnson is getting six percent of the vote if Trump was getting that six percent Trump right now so in that poll and that's an IBD tracking poll Clinton's at 44 percent Trump's at 42 percent and Johnson is getting six percent which means that if Trump was getting the six percent that Johnson is taking from him assuming of course those people are all Republicans and not some independents that's the big assumption. which we're unsure about because it's <laughs> uncertain but it would still be Put Trump at 48% over Clinton's 44, he would be winning. If you look at the latest Florida poll, you have Gary Johnson taking 4% of the vote. If you look at the latest uh, Colorado poll, Gar- Gary Johnson's getting 7% of the poll- vote. In Arizona, he's getting 4% of the vote. In North Carolina, he's pulling 8% of the vote. In Pennsylvania, he's pulling 5% of the vote. If you add up all those numbers and you add those percentages to to what Donald Trump is doing, Donald Trump would be winning in all these swing states. Now, as John has pointed out, those there may be some of those people that are disaffected Hillary supporters that are voting for Gary Johnson. We don't know that. But generally speaking, if you're on the left, you're not going to be voting for Gary Johnson. You're going to be voting for Jill Stein for the most part. If you're an independent who's in the middle, in the center, you may be voting for Gary Johnson, but you are never voting for the Republican Party to begin with, so you don't count in that calculus. The fact of the matter is is it's clear to me as a political scientist from looking at these poll numbers that there is a great divide in the Republican Party and that there is an exodus of people that are leaving to vote for Gary Johnson. And we can debate or agree to disagree about whether some of those people may be disaffected Bernie supporters. But at the end of the day, if, all, if Gary Johnson's support was going to Trump Trump would be winning this election. He's not. And that shows the divide right there. Stanley,
0: what's going to happen to the GOP after the election?
2: You know, I'm still half and half, but before I jump to that, I just want to mention a quick I did a couple weeks ago talking about a candidate in Utah who's beating both Trump and Hillary. He's from the Republican Party. He he left left the party, and he's running his own campaign, and now he's trying to build his own party in the image of what the old Republican Party used to be. Whatever that means, I'll let you guys decide for yourselves. But I think that is a sign of the times. I think a lot of people are frustrated with the Republican Party. They don't think they're the party of good ideas anymore. They don't think they've been that party for a long time. However, the Republican Party is a strong party. It has a lot of like intelligent people at the top who want to maintain the establishment. It has a lot of people who are dedicated Republican Party supporters. Sometimes they know why. Most times they don't. And then you have people who care more about their the inner lines of their pockets or just what gives them power than they do of actual passing policy. As long as you have those three sets of people, the Republican Party will still be there. Will it be as powerful as, or as formidable as it has been? I don't know, because in 2047, Latinos are going to make up the majority of the population in America. And so far, the Republican Party has done nothing but push them away. So this might be a coming coming to Jesus moment for them. Who knows? So was 2008. So was 2012.
0: Thank you. And thank you so much for that, Stanley. I just want to wrap up final words because we did exhaust all of our time. Uh, really quickly, I mean... The Republican Party has been here before after uh, Barack Obama beat Mitt Romney um, in 2012. They came back to the drawing board. They said they're going to try to attract, you know, more Latinos, more LGBTQ people. Um, and know this broaden their base and diversify. And I think it's personally it's a shame that they did not go that route. And you have someone at the head. You have Donald Trump who alienates these people by calling them drug, uh, um, drug lords, by calling them rapists bad hombres and you know doing and saying things that are extremely inflammatory and just only speak to what I believe is the racist core and the ugly part of America and I think that if we want to heal and we want to get past that we need to stop using terms like that and we do need to focus more on the policies and the the plans and for Donald Trump if he did have some you know strong reform efforts um, in his platform I would have rather heard that than him you know just speaking and just saying anything off the top of his mind that happens to offend someone um so on that note we do have to go on a quick break but i want to thank john for joining us here on let your voice be heard and having this discussion with us um and on that note we do we are going to have a quick break but don't go anywhere guys the show will continue right here on W H C 90.3 fm the voice of harlem
1: the news roundup i'm going to give you guys the first news story because you guys are going to love this one so we have our first case of voter fraud in the general election and guess who it is john no it's a guess guess who guess who that person was supporting
2: come on that's too easy come on hillary no uh stein
1: donald trump there you go what a surprise what a surprise so this woman was arrested in des moines iowa and she was arrested because she tried to vote twice she went to one polling location voted for donald trump and then she tried to go to another polling location and vote for donald trump again So if you want to know about election rigging, just ask a Donald Trump supporter, because if you can't actually win, try and vote twice while you say it. Try try and vote twice while saying the Democrats are the ones rigging the election.
0: Well, I think that (laughs) even though voter fraud is a non-issue in our country, it happens, I think, 0.2 percent of the time. In-person
1: voter fraud.
0: Right. Well, it can happen either way to those. That 0.2% of people it happens to. Yeah. So it just happened to happen to a Donald Trump supporter. The,
2: the last seven reports of what it didn't happen to her.
1: She ha- she did it. She yeah. did it. Yeah. Well, Allegedly. She's not a no, victim she, of a she crime. Said, she
2: said, I was worried about voter fraud, so I wanted to do it myself to see if people could really do it. <laughs> no, she said that. And now she's facing up to five years in prison.
0: Well, well, that's what happens when you commit it, and I'm glad we have strong laws around that. I did want to move on to another story during the news roundup. I want to talk about Renee Davis. She is the 23-year-old. Uh, she was the 23-year-old mother who was five months pregnant, who was shot and killed by police um, while she was on at her home and she actually lived on a native american tribal land so supposedly um she suffered from depression and she was suicidal she had texted her boyfriend saying you know i'm thinking about ending my life meanwhile her other three children were in the were in the home with her so her boyfriend called cops and said can you please check on my girlfriend because she's suicidal lo and behold cops get there they shoot her Now, to be all fair, I will say this. They said that she was, she did have possession of a handgun. She was an active hunter. Again, she was Native American. She lived in a tribal land. So, you know, that's something that was a part of her culture and, uh, probably a strong hobby. Um, and she was suicidal. The thing is that what makes this story so problematic, and I know not all the facts are there, but I think we, if, if, Police officers could focus more on de escalating situations and have maybe better training when it comes to dealing with those suffering from mental illness. Maybe they wouldn't be as quick to shoot people and they would, um, you know, have more of a skill set when it comes to disarming them um, rather than automatically shooting because they feel like they're in fear of their lives. I, I, so
2: yeah. um, I think that the police do need better training to deal with people with mental health issues. However, I'm going to wait till the rest of the information okay. comes out, because if she did have a gun, I'd be a little bit jumpy, too.
1: I mean let's just put something out there though. putting aside the individual facts of these cases if you look at what goes on in the United Kingdom right almost no, none of their police officers have guns in fact if you want to be a police officer in the United Kingdom that carries a gun like it requires very very special training and I think it's like only like one in every like 200 officers that have a gun instead they are trained in de-escalation techniques but there's other major differences uh, uh, England isn't a country where there's is hundreds and millions hundreds of millions of guns either where that people, that the regular citizens own. So this is like a two level problem. Nonetheless, regardless of, without getting into the issue of, of gun ownership and, and the gun debate here in America and the differences between England and gun laws there versus gun laws here and just getting back to talking about the police and this idea of de-escalation, that's exactly what we need. When we talk about better training, there are multiple things that need to come into that, that I don't have time to go into in detail. But one of the things that should come into is de-escalation training. Right now we have a situation where in most cases what we've seen is police officers escalating situations not de-escalating them Sandra Bland is a perfect example of that right she was like I don't want to get out of the car I'm smoking my cigarette and rather than just saying all right you know what I'm gonna let her sit in the car and smoke her cigarette because she's obviously upset right now his reaction was to open up the door and grab her and pull her out of that vehicle right that was not de-escalating the situation that was escalating the situation and so we have to look back at that and say had that officer de-escalated that situation and just, you know, said, okay I'm going to go back. I'm going to write you the ticket. You know, I'm going to come back. I'm going to give you the ticket. If you don't believe that you were doing something wrong, then you can go to court and you can fight the ticket at court. Thank you, ma'am. Have a nice day. Then that situation doesn't escalate and Sandra Bland doesn't end up dead in a jail cell in a police precinct, whether she hung herself or not, whether she, you know, whether there was some foul play. So the the fact of the matter is, is one of the big things that we are in need of when it comes to policing is training as to de-escalation of among other things.
2: So, do you know who's really good with de-escalation apparently? The Portland police because when the Bundy ranches went and held (laughs) that federal building hostage Mm -hmm. and they had automatic rifles, the police didn't shoot them. Well, you know, they they ended up being gunshots but that was when they actually engaged with federal agents. But, Speaking of those Bundy ranchers who held the, um, the federal office in Portland, Oregon hostage, they had a trial for it, and they were all acquitted, not guilty. While they were getting that not guilty verdict, even though they said they were trying to push federal workers out of that space and trying to take over the land, while they were getting that not guilty verdict from an all-white jury, by the way... Protesters in North Dakota fighting to stop the North Dakota pipeline from being put onto their own sacred lands were shot with rubber <laughs> bullets. They were pepper sprayed. They were tear-gassed. There was one man who was praying who they shot him with a rubber bullet then dragged him off. So... I, just, I bring that up because I want to show you guys the disparity that we 're facing literally on American soil, so while a group of white men can go and take a federal building hostage and say that they are willing to use lethal force and go to, they can be arrested, go to trial, and walk away, you have Amy Goodman from Democracy Now who they tried to give her federal charges. They have, you have other activists who are being charged with terrorist threats who are being charged with aggravated assault because they bled on bullets that the cops shot them with. This is what's happening in North Dakota with black and brown people and in Portland, Oregon with white people. I
1: don't disagree that there's a disparity, uh, for sure. And I agree with everything you just said. I just want to, just for a half a second, why, in the, legally speaking, why the verdict came back the way it is. So the, what they were charged with was having a conspiracy to interfere with uh, um, basically the... Uh, the workers, right? And I think really the prosecution maybe botched this, but I also think that, like, the defense attorneys did a good job, right? Like, being a criminal defense attorney myself, you sort of look at the prosecution, you look at what the charges are, and you try and figure the whole thing out. And the whole thing here was in order for them to be found guilty of this conspiracy, they had to have proved that they intended to interfere with the, uh, the operations, but also that they actually did interfere with the workers' abilities to do their jobs. And when the jury came back, and like you said, it wasn't all-white jury, so we have to take that into account. What the jury essentially said was that, based on the evidence that was presented, they agreed that they intended to do these things, but what they that what they found was that there was never any instances or any evidence that they actually interfered with any of the workers on the refugees being able to do their jobs not their the the But the, they did for 30 days. I mean no they were but, uh, uh, listen I don't disagree right I'm saying what they're saying is just because they couldn't use that building doesn't mean they couldn't do their jobs right if your job at the animal refugee is to do x y and z and you're still able to do x y and z even if these people are occupying this building then the legally speaking you will not have made out the elements because x y and z weren't weren't they were not interfered with doing x y and z now we can disagree with that we can say you know maybe the prosecutor should have charged them with something different maybe the way the jury instruction should have been given it should have said like if you find that just being in this building was an interference you can find them guilty but essentially what happened was they had to have you know if if like I said, if the people who worked at the refugee have to do the wildlife refugee had to do XYZ and they were still able to accomplish XYZ then under the charges that the prosecutors brought they wouldn't have been guilty. Thank you for that Alyssa. We do have to go
0: on a quick break, but don't go anywhere. When we get back, we're going to be talking about the Affordable Care Act. All right, right here. i let your voice
3: be heard.
5: We are. Yeah, I said it. We are.
2: We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, The Voice of Parliament. If you were just tuning in, this is Stanley Fritz with Selena Hill and Alyssa Fuchs. And we just finished having our news roundup where we talked about our favorite news topics throughout the week. This week we talked about the Bundy Ranchers who held the federal office in Portland, Oregon hostage when they were charged. For stopping federal workers, they were all not guilty. We also talked about the Dakota pipeline protesters who are being shot with rubber bullets, who are being hit with tear gas, and who are being thrown in prison as we speak. And we also talked about um
0: Renee Davis. Renee
2: Davis rest in peace as well as the Donald Trump supporter who committed voter fraud <laughs> to prove to see if voter fraud was a real thing good going boo boo. Wow. Congratulations. Really smart. Yourself.
1: In the basket you go. That's right. <laughs> for real. Like now she has five this, years in jail. It's horrible. Well
2: possibly. You know she possibly. might get off if she, she gets She might get acquitted too.
1: Oh wow.
2: Yep. So guys we are switching gears now. After spending the first half of the show trying to figure out why the Republican Party is going through a civil war. Shout out to our guest John Burnett who was on here. We are going to be talking about the Affordable Care Act. What about the Affordable Care Act? Well for the last eight to uh, I don't know. Yeah. Seven to eight years Republicans have said that the Affordable Care Act is a disaster. It is going to implode it is going to fail and every single year they said this it was wrong or it was just not really successful every single year they said it was going to be a disaster the following year and it didn't happen until well apparently now so, if you have been living under Iraq, you might not know that the Obamacare health insurance premiums are expected to increase by
1: twenty-two percent.
0: Some even, I think, the Wall Street Journal said twenty-five. But so, you,
1: what you, uh, I'm going to address that. Yes, Finish you, your thing, yes, and then I want to address that point.
2: Yes, correct. So, it's expected to grow between twenty-two to twenty-five percent. And why is this happening? Well, for a couple of reasons according to people who know things, not me of course. So, what they're saying is that, well, Aetna and Cigna, two huge health insurance companies, they have pulled out. A lot of other insurance companies, they're just not getting enough enrollees. They were expected to have 22 million enrollees by this time. They only have 10 million people. And Obamacare, according to some people, seems more like an entitlement fund because the people who need insurance the most but can't afford it, they're using it because they get some kind of assistance. Everyone else, not so much. And for certain people, they are getting squeezed so bad, they're better off not having insurance at all. So, we're going to be talking about Obamacare. Whether it's dying, why this is happening? Should we switch to other um, insurance resources? And we want to make sure you guys are being heard. So give us a call at 212- Six five zero six nine zero three. If you're still on Facebook Live, leave a comment. We'll get to you, Alyssa.
1: Yes. So I wanted to address the thing about the rising premiums, but on both sides of the uh, of the coin, which is, um, you know, I was actually had the privilege to be on the phone call with the president about the Affordable Care Act earlier this week. And what's going to happen is that even though the premiums are going up, most people, in fact, seven in ten consumers in the United States will also see their tax credit go up. So that's the thing you have to remember, which is the way that Obamacare. Works is that if you fall into this uh, area where you don't make, um, you make too much money to be eligible for Medicaid, um, but you. Um don't get insurance from your employer, uh, then you may be eligible for a subsidy. Now, some people are eligible for subsidies and some people aren't, depending on how much money they make. And I'm going to talk about that in a second, especially in terms of my personal situation, um, just to give you a kind of how that works. But yes, it is correct that it's probably likely that the premiums are going to go up um, for the reasons that you mentioned. But at the same time, that also means that the tax credits are going to go up. So what you are going to see is that for most people, um, they are going to be able to find if they just need if they don't have a major health issue and they just want to get insurance for the just in case situation they're going to find that there are most of they're going to find will be able to find a low cost plan that's less than 75 dollars a month once you include the tax subsidy in addition because the premiums are going up more people are also going to be eligible for Medicaid so which also speaks to your issue about whether or not this might just be becoming an entitled entitlement program Um, so you know like that's that's a really big thing which is that we have to realize that 72 percent of the people are going to be uh, like eligible for a tax credit now there are also people like me who are not and so this is where the real problem comes in you when i you, uh, i'll tell you a little bit of a personal story for myself which is about my health insurance i have obamacare i don't get insurance through my job but i also have some health issues not anything very serious not anything i want to get into on the radio but health issue that requires me to go see medical professional about once a week and pay a 25 dollar copay so 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 what ends up happening is I take a plan that costs about five hundred dollars a month because and it has only a six hundred deductible because I'd rather pay more money up front in my premiums and less money out of pocket later on. But I also make too much money, even though I don't really make enough money to afford this insurance. I make too much money. So now I am no longer eligible for a subsidy now. I don't know if that's going to change once the premiums go up, and I'm not going to be able to find that out until open enrollment opens up on the 1st. And it may turn out that now because the premiums are going up, I may now be eligible for a subsidy. But there are a subset of people like me. We need to have health insurance. We have some kind of health issue which requires us to go actually seek treatment, so we can't take a catastrophic plan. We can't take a plan that has a $2,000 deductible because we actually need to use our insurance. And we also make too much money to be eligible for a subsidy, but we don't actually make enough money to... To to afford the insurance The thing is People like me People in this boat We're actually a really Small number of people Most people Get their insurance Through their employer And their employer's Health insurance Is going to cover them Something like 80% Of people in this country Get health insurance Through their employment The only There's 20% Like the other uh, Maybe it's 70% The other 30% Either are eligible For Medicaid Are getting a subsidy Or are in the Very 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 Small subset of people Like me That make too much money To get the subsidy And don't make enough money to actually be able to afford the the insurance they need. So that's the thing. We really have to look at this as a complex picture. Obamacare also does great things in terms of making it such that you can still get health insurance if you have a a pre-existing condition, making it so that mental health care is covered as part of your physical health care treatment. If we were to do away with Obamacare and go back to the private health care system we had before, all those protections would go away. The other direction we have to ask ourselves is, do we want to move towards single-payer health care? And I know we're going to get to that I'm going to throw it back to Stanley. Yes.
2: Sir. So before we even get to single payer, I do want to throw the question to you, Selena. So Alyssa did say a lot, but I want to kind of like just highlight a couple of things that she mentioned. That one, while the rates will be going up, so will be the, um, the, the pre, while the premiums will be going up, so will be the assistance and so will be the number of people who can get on Medicare. And while those things are true, that 85% of people who are going to see these premium increases are going to be okay, there is that, the rest of them, which Alyssa falls under, who are going to be hit hard. And there yeah. has to be a solution for that. Republicans don't want to do anything. So if the Republicans don't want to work with the president and then they they hold Congress and Senate in this next election, does Obamacare need to go, Selena?
0: No, no, not at all. And I think that the propaganda saying that we need to repeal Obamacare and then replace it with God knows what is the wrong direction that we need to take. yes. The Affordable Care Act is not the end-all, be-all savior. It's not single-payer, and it's not—you know, we couldn't even get the public option um, passed along with it. So it's not a perfect health care law, but it needs to be worked on. And I think that Hillary Clinton and her policy and her platforms would do exactly that to continue to improve this law. Now, I want to say, I was uninsured for about two years. Right. I am for the first time in my professional career. I have a full time job with benefits. But for a lot of my career, I was working as an independent contractor or freelancer, etc. So I didn't have health insurance until Obamacare. And honestly, it was the best thing coming. Um, I fell into, you know, that 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 bracket that Alyssa was talking about where, for the first time, I'm getting health insurance, dental insurance, and, and vision. Everything was covered under one very affordable premium price. And now that I actually, you know, now that my employer does provide health insurance, um, it seems unaffordable. And I'm like, wow, this is like nearly 10 times what I've been paying for the last two years. I'd rather have the Affordable Care
1: Act. I'd rather have Obamacare.
2: So we do have some people who are commenting on politically preposterous. I want to give Alyssa a chance to read some of those comments.
1: We do, but, you know, I'm going to read them in just a second. And I just wanted to address something real quickly that Selena said, and it's something that the president talked about a lot on the call, which is that politics is the biggest challenge. That the thing is, Obamacare is actually working. And as Selena points out, it's working. And as I point out, even though I'm in a position where I'm falling in that gap and— Unfortunately, it's affecting me in a way where I have to spend more money that I can't really afford. Um, and it doesn't seem like it's working for me. I have to realize I'm the tree, I'm not the forest. And on the whole, it is working. And that's what Obama was saying. We really have to overcome the skeptics and we have to prove people wrong. And we have to let Hillary Clinton start from a position of strength for the long term because we can't go back to the system we used to have. We have to fix and continue to fix Obamacare and make it better. And I know we're going to talk about solutions, but getting to the comments. Um, because I know that's what what uh, We are getting a lot of comments on politically preposterous Odila Lay says we need to Go to universal health care trying to accommodate The greedy insurance companies did not work There are capitalist countries that exclude Profit making from some industries such as healthcare. we should have universal health care I believe affordable health care for every Person in this nation is essentially for The well-being of all we need to embrace Preventative health care education For all and personal responsibility At that point we get a response from somebody Who's conservative who says if we're Going to exclude pro- profits from drug companies. How are they going to get money to do research and development? Right. He's basically saying if we take away the profit motive, then we're not going to get new drugs because drug companies aren't going to want to do research and development because it costs money that they can't. They won't have. That's a big reason why conservatives say we shouldn't have universal health care. Well, Denise Sharp responded to Nicholas, and she said pharmaceutical firms spend far more on marketing than they do on research. There is a lot of fat in pharma budgets that they can and should give to people who need care. And so they, she then posts an image, which you can go to Politically Preposterous and look at. It's from the Washington Post, and it talks about the number, the money that re, uh, big pharma spends on sales and marketing versus the money they spend on research and development. And what the image shows is absolutely correct. Big pharma spends almost three times as much money on marketing drugs, like all those commercials. Are you tired in the morning? Does your back hurt when you sit on the couch for too long? Do you like, need to
2: drink water every day?
1: Does, you know, are you having problems because your wife is mad that certain areas of your body aren't working properly anymore. <laughs> you know, like they spend three, four times as much money on that advertising than they do on research and development. I mean, like Johnson and Johnson spent 17.5% of their budget on, on marketing and 8.2% on research and development. Novartis spent 146 on marketing and 99 on research and development. So what we're finding is even if you took away this profit motive, what you'd really be cutting into is not their research and development budgets because there would still be incentive to do research and development because you know assuming that we we assume that uh, that healthcare industry is supposed to do no wrong right always help the hippocratic oath right and so what you're really cutting into with their marketing. But the thing is, like, drug companies shouldn't have to market because, like, people should be able to get the drugs they need. And that's the whole benefit to a universal health care system. I lived in England for six months. We can talk about that. I had universal health care when I was there. I was covered even though I wasn't even a British system. And there are drawbacks, but there are so many more benefits.
2: There are a lot of benefits, and that's one of the things we are going to talk about when we come back from our break because we do have to go on a break at some point. The quick question I want to ask for Selena, I'm, I'm jumping back to you again because you've now switched. So you you had Obamacare, now you're working with an employer and they're covering health insurance. But how many other people do you know who are still like who are still t- getting Obamacare and like it's helping them?
0: You know what? I I I don't know too many others. Really? Um, that are still getting but I mean on oh no, I mean personally I don't know. Yeah. But I do know that Obamacare itself has been extremely helpful yeah. um to a lot of people depending on what bracket uh, what what income bracket that they fall under? So I think that again, it does need to continue.
2: So the, yeah, the reason that I asked that is because one of the biggest issues with Obamacare is not enough young people are enrolling. Mm, so
0: people who, maybe that's why I don't know any.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> so people who should be enrolling, they're not. And one of the plans that the president is talking about, and I think Alyssa mentioned this during our call, so I'll let her explain it, was that the White House is trying now trying to get college students to enroll other people. Yeah, I'm gonna talk. Uh,
1: yeah, I, I want to talk about that, and I'll get to that in a half a second. But I do want to point out right now, more people have health insurance than ever before. Yes. Yes. There are so many people. There are people who are Republicans who voted against Obama, who have written Obama letters saying. I found out that I had cancer and you know I wasn't like you know I, or and I was able to get coverage that I wouldn't have otherwise been able to get and even though I didn't vote for you and I thought that everything was wrong about Obamacare like Obamacare has saved my life there are so many people in that boat where Obamacare has literally saved their, saved their life and we have so many people that are currently covered that would not have had coverage for otherwise for Obamacare but I do want to talk for a second about what Stanley just mentioned which is what's called the healthy campus challenge and so the Obama administration uh in this last session and hopefully it will go over into the clinton administration um come january 20th after inauguration day is this healthy campus challenge which they are challenging college students to compete against one another and i mean colleges like uh for example nyu competing against um columbia university competing against this to see which colleges can get the most students on campus signed up for health care and i don't know if there's going to be like some kind of reward or whatever and there might be with where you like get to go meet Obama or something, but there's going to be some kind of incentive that these college kids are going to get um, to win this college campus challenge. And um, they are going to go around and they are going to have the most affordable options. And they're going to show some of these students that, you know what, if you are healthy and you don't need medical insurance, um, you know, on the regular, like somebody like me does, and you just want to have coverage, um, here's a low cost option yep. that you can get. And, you know, this is way better than not having insurance at all, because at the end of the day, it's better to have insurance than it is to not to have it, even if you think that it's cheaper to pay the penalty. That's very true, Alyssa. Thank so, you for that.
0: So, you just p- never know.
2: You're right. So guys, we are going on a quick break. And when we come back, we'll be talking about the single payer and public options. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. And We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, The Voice of Harlem. If you were just tuning in, we are talking about Obamacare. Is this the end of Obamacare? Will your premium prices go up because of Obamacare? Does Obama hate Obamacare so much he'd make Obamacare to destroy your Obamacare? All these questions and more will be answered on the next episode of Dragon Ball Z because that's not what we're talking about here on Let Your Voice Be Heard. So, when we were closing this segment, um, the, the last portion of this conversation out, people kept mentioning single-payer, and public option. So for those of you who do not know what that is or who might not be 100% clear on that, I want to give you a quick explanation. So a single-payer is a complete government-run health insurance system under which every single person is covered, kind of like Canada system or um, England system. The public option is a single federal insurance plan that will compete with private insurance companies, so like Medicaid or maybe the insurance plan that Congress and Senate gets. So those that's the difference between both of those things. There have been a lot of debates between both sides on what we should do. So some Republicans have said that Obamacare isn't going to work and they have another option. I'm not clear on what that option <laughs> is. It, it's but, the
1: same plan that, you know, our former guest seems to think that Donald Trump has. So no plan at all.
2: Um, Donald Trump has at times endorsed the public option. He's also endorsed single payer. And then he's also said that we should deport 11 million people. So who knows? Bernie Sanders has said that we need single payer. Hillary Clinton is now saying that single payer or the public option might be the way to go. I want to talk to you guys and see what you want. So let's start with Alyssa.
1: So, I mean, listen, what I, I, I want single-payer. And actually, I just want to point out, in some of those leaked things, it actually turns out Hillary Clinton has been for single-payer for quite a long time. It's not like a new thing, uh, contrary to what a lot of people um, on the left would like to believe. Um, but, you know, I would like to see us go to single-payer. Like I said, I lived in England. I found single-payer to be um, the way to go. I think a big problem is people don't understand how it works. I mean, I got a phone call from a friend of mine the other day who considers herself to be pretty conservative. And she wanted to ask me some. And she's a, she's a you know she wants to ask me some questions from an objective perspective about Obamacare and about the difference between Obamacare and Medicaid and you know and single payer and like we had to. I was like you know before I can answer the question that you're asking, I first need to break it down for you. Like what is single payer? What is this? And I basically had to explain to her the idea that what single payer is is basically instead of you paying three, four, five hundred dollars a month premium uh, for your health insurance, instead the government just takes like $250, $300 out of your paycheck every month, just like they take money out of your paycheck for Medicare and Medicaid and unemployment and those other things that, um, you know, you are taxed on. And instead you get government health insurance. It's essentially, it's not really Medicaid, it's Medicare. What, what elderly people are able to get, government-backed health insurance, that is essentially single payer. So we already have single payer in this country for elderly people and it's called Medicare. And what we really need to do is expand it. But, I also realize the political will for doing single payer really isn't there because, as Hillary did point out when she was debating against Bernie Sanders during the primaries, in order for us to do single payer, we are going to have to scrap Obamacare and really start from the beginning. And so unless we are going to have a Democratic run House and a Democratic run Senate and a Democrat in the White House, it, there, there's just not going to be the political backing to be able to get single payer passed because conservatives are just so against it. They really are um, now. The second thing I want to add to that is to the extent that we're not able to get single payer, which is what I really want, I do think Obamacare needs to be fixed. And I think that we as liberals need to acknowledge that Obamacare isn't perfect it's not broken but it's also not working completely and there are things that need to be done to make it work better and one of those things that we need is the public option because if we had the public option then these private insurance companies would actually have to compete against the government and if the government was offering a plan at a much lower cost and everybody was going to get the government plan and buying the public option that if if the private insurance companies wanted to compete with that free market, like conservatives always talk about, they would have to reduce their their plans, right? It's like if I'm selling uh, ice cream and you open an ice cream shop across the street and you're selling ice cream for less than I'm selling it and your ice cream is just as good as mine, people are going to go buy your ice cream, right? Well, if these private insurance companies now have to compete against the government and the government's selling the cheaper ice cream and it's just as good as the private ice cream, then the private ice people are going to have to make their ice cream cheaper. Well, their health insurance cheaper.
0: Alyssa, you know, you just make it sound too logical. It just makes so much sense. It's so sensible. I mean, you just sound like you were running for office yourself because, I mean, to offer every resident in America the chance to be covered, um, their hospitals, their private doctors, uh, ambulance, everything. I mean, it costs so much money. And to say that, you know what, we can, there is a better way that this could be done. And we can look at our neighbors in Canada or even uh, the um, United Kingdom
1: that Alyssa talked about. But- or France or, any, or Sweden or any other civilized country in the world. Right. That, that has not seen their... Well, Cuba, let's leave out of this because I want to say civilized countries that have not seen their freedoms restricted due to... Healthcare system, and, and the thing is, when we
0: talk about the public option, I remember when Obama was uh, advocately pushing for this back in 2008, 2009, and Nancy Pelosi was heading the House at that time, and we were so close to actually getting something passed, but it all fell through. Well, and I wanted, you know, I mean, the thing is, I, we don't have any Republicans here to represent that side, but what they say is that you know, when we put, leave things in government hands it doesn't always turn out well. And they'll point to how even when President Obama lost, right, the VA, or even when President Obama lost the ACA, the website itself was like a huge flop.
2: So let's get a couple of things. I think you're being very nice about what Republicans would say. <laughs> what Republicans did say when they tried oh, yeah. to get the public option was we're going to have death panels and they're going to make, they're going to take away your insurer and they're going to say that you can't get certain procedures done and There's they're going to put you on waiting lists so that you can go get your a tooth pulled. That's what they said. They used spirit tactics. Let's be very clear about that. I mean, and
1: well, in, no, go on.
2: And yes, the website was, they were not prepared for the website, but you know what, the reason the website was not prepared for the influx of people was because other states were supposed to be having their own exchanges and multiple states run by, guess what, Republicans, Republicans refused to, to like set their states up. So those people who didn't have a, a, a website for their state had to go to Obamacare's website.
1: Right. And, and you know, I we're getting a comment. on politically preposterous about that from Ron Cooper. He said the sad part is that everything in the e- ACA that is criticized over are the Republican compromises, yet it's Obamacare that gets the blame. And he's right, which is, you know, all the things that Democrats wanted that didn't make their way into Obamacare, like the public option, that would have prevented some of the things that we're seeing now are the compromises that they made for the Republicans because Republicans were saying, oh, public option, bad, da-da-da-da-da. Well, let
2: me push back on you for a second, Alyssa. Push back on you and the comments, about the Thank you for commenting. It was a Democrat run House and Senate. They pushed back because the Democrats, let's be very clear about this, have no backbone. Right. And when when the fear tactics from the Republican Party started to work, Democrats started to come after Obamacare. And that's why the public option lost. And because insurance companies pumped money into the pockets of these spineless Democrats and they caved in.
1: No, I think that's fair. I I think that's still, but that still speaks to his larger point, which is because the Democrats made these compromises with Republicans, all these Republicans' ideas that the Democrats compromised to are the things that are really I wouldn't call it
2: compromises. I would say they have no backbones and they they fell. Sounds like they
1: sold out. That's fair enough. But as for the website, I just also want to talk about that. So also on this call, um, after Obama finished speaking about the Affordable Care Act and about the Healthy Campus Challenge, um, they said that, uh, you know, they have definitely upped the website, healthcare.gov. As Stanley points out, a lot of issues are about state websites, and that is also part of this compromise, which is they wanted to leave the states some autonomy to do this, and they didn't want it to be a government, a full federal government takeover of healthcare, like a single-payer would be, right? They wanted to give some states autonomy. And so, in some ways, the states really screwed themselves up. But, with respect to healthcare.gov and the problems that it has, many of those are going to be, have, oh, I'm sorry, all of those are going to be rectified for the new open enrollment period it's going to be easier to find coverage and enroll and compare plans uh, about what's both in network and out of network and it's literally going to be like when you go on to um, like kayakcom or like one of these websites where you're like trying to compare whether you should fly on American Airlines or whether you should fly JetBlue and you can like look at all these flights side to side and you can see you know do I get storage do I get legroom do I get a reclining seat you know like how many bags do I have to pay for or do I get a free baggage like and you know how you can like line line up all those options before you decide where you're going to fly and, like, is there a stopover? Well, that's basically how healthcare.gov is going to be going forward. They've made major improvements to the website. It's going to be much more like shopping for a flight or shopping for car insurance or shopping for a hotel room um, and really easy to compare and contrast the different options and the different plans and the costs.
2: Well, So, (laughs) real quick, guys, if you want to call in with a question or a comment, the number is 212-650-6903. Again, that is 212-650-6903. If you have something to say and you're on Facebook Live, leave a comment. We'll get to it. Selena?
0: No, I I just wanted to add that it sounds like an extremely democratic process, the way they're going to do it. And it sounds like it's something that actually promotes capitalism in our country. Because if you're comparing, um, you know, you have multiple options. You're comparing and you're going for what works with you. And it almost sounds like something that falls within Republican
1: principles. So, I mean. Because (laughs) it is. Because it's a market-based system. Because before it was Obamacare, it was Romney Care, Right. Because it's not a government takeover of health insurance. Because all of these health insurers are people in the private marketplace. Because there's no public option. You are buying insurance from private companies. This is a market-based system. That's why capitalism is involved. That's why the left has a big problem with this. That's why so many people want to have a public option or go to single-payer.
2: So real quick, I want to give a shout-out to some of the people listening today. Kwanzaa Billy, longtime friend, long-time oh, Kwanza, listener. Oh, yes. Kwanzaa, thank you so much listening live in D.C. Jackie's listening from Paris. We love you, Jackie. No, she- She's actually you, said
1: she was in another country. She's in Spain. Spain. She's in Spain. I you, don't know. You, you Spain Norway. Norway. No, she Norway. said hi from Norway. Hi
2: from Norway. Love you, Jackie. Um, Everyone who's listening, thank you so much. Wait, we you just, love
1: Jackie this week? Shh,
2: just just today. So I do want to switch gears slightly. We're talking about Obamacare. We're talking about all the improvements that they're making. Unfortunately, though, that, that 15 to 20 percent of the people who are going to get squeezed when the... when when the um, exchange opens up on November 1st it's still an issue and Republicans don't seem to want to work with the Democrats and Republicans had the majority. Even if Democrats are able to take back the Senate it's not likely to get back Congress. So what do we do to help those people, to help the Alyssas, Selena?
0: I mean, I would say if we can address the problem state by state, if you are an elected official within your state and you can work with um, the state legislators there, then that would probably be the best option because Washington has pretty much put it, brung this to a halt. Um, We know that Republicans All they do is cry about repealing it. They have yet to present a clear plan to replace it with something. Whereas Democrats are saying, you know, things that make sense, like, no, let's just make it better. So, I mean, if I was an elected official in New York, if I was Kristen Gillibrand, I would say, is there anything that could be done right here in New York?
1: Right now I I agree with that to a certain extent but I also think that um, there are many things as I already pointed out that have to be done by Congress on the national level. I want to just read a quote that we're getting from Len Campbell on Politically Preposterous. He actually just posted a quote from Mark Twain um, and that quote is the reports of my death have been greatly exaggerated. Um, Now listen if I was a politician if I was um, a Congresswoman and um, I hope someday maybe I will be um, what I would say as I already said is that the first thing we need to do is we need to have a public option. By having a public option, uh, we will give people the ability to buy into Medicaid. And when we do that, um, that will increase competition and will make it more likely that these private health insurance companies will have to reduce their rates in order to compete with the government, because that's how capitalism works. It's supply and it's demand and it's competition. And the more people are competing, it drives down the rates, just like I talked about when I gave the uh, analogy about the ice cream. But the other thing I think we need to do is uh, we need to relook at um, the formula for determining who gets a subsidy and who doesn't. Um, obviously, like I said, there are people like myself that don't make enough money right now to be, um, you know, really be able to afford their insurance that they need, especially if they have some kind of health issue that makes it such that they need to use their insurance and that they can't take some kind of catastrophic um, or bare bones plan, um, but also are not eligible for a subsidy. So we really need to look at that and we need to take into the whole big picture. Like like, are you paying student loans? Where do you live? Is the cost of living higher there? We need to, re- the, the government really needs to reassess the formula on how to calculate who is eligible for a subsidy. So I think two of the main fixes that really need to happen is a reassessment of who's eligible for a subsidy and the expansion of subsidies to people like myself who really, really do, um, can't. you really, really can't afford the insurance and really do need it, um, but really are not eligible. And look at not just my gross salary that I get paid, but also the other expenditures that I have going out. And I, you know, I mean things like rent and student loans and not just like me going out and having 15 mimosas with Stanley over (gasps) brunch, Um, you know, along with the public option. Ultimately, I do think that we're going to need to move to single payer because I don't think a market based system is sustainable. Um, But I also think we do need to realize there are drawbacks to single payer and we need to assess those uh, drawbacks and make clear to people what that is going to mean. Uh, While the reports of long wait times are greatly over exaggerated, there definitely are like, you know, there are some things that are not the greatest about single payer and we need to be upfront about those before you know we don't want to tell people that they if they like their insurance plan they can keep it when it turns out that's not true because that was a major setback for obama and a major setback when we're trying to convince people that are skeptical that they should get on board with this plan
2: thank you so much for that Alyssa. so we do have to close this conversation out and I'm, i'm gonna try my best to keep it very quick listen eight years ago there were at least 45 million people in this country who did not have some kind of health insurance. By the way, I <laughs> Ashtonette phone just fell from our um, tripod. So that's the noise you heard. I just throw it was funny so I'd mention it. But that, that noise you heard is pretty much the noise that everyone heard when they looked at their pockets after their, their hospital bill came in the mail because they didn't have health insurance eight years ago. 45 million people. Out of that 45 million, at least 15 million children did not have health insurance before Obamacare. Since we've gotten Obamacare, let me tell you some of the things that you have gotten because of it. Ho- insurance companies can no longer reject you because of pre-existing conditions. Insurance companies can no longer count being a woman as a pre-existing condition. Insurance companies... Anyone who is under 26 years old can stay on their parents' insurance until they are 26 years old. And that 45 million number, there are now only between 8 to 10 million people without health insurance. We went from 45 million people in 2008, 8 years, to 8 to 10. So there are still 8 to 10 million people too much right now that we have, but obviously The bill, it has helped because no matter what your politics are, no matter how you feel about people, no matter how you feel about health insurance, I think it is fair to say that everyone deserves the ability to go to the doctor to deal with an ailment because if they can't deal with it in an affordable way, we will deal with it in an unaffordable way through our taxes because you know who covers someone who goes to the hospital uninsured who doesn't pay the bill? That comes out of your tax dollars. Affordable Care Act is not perfect and needs a lot of work, but it's better than what we had before, which was a net that had a hole at the bottom of it. So, with that being said, guys, we're going to go on a quick break. When we come back, Alyssa will be giving us some facts on these veterans and those bonus paychecks. One, two,
4: one, two, three. W H C 90.3 FM.
1: XO. EXO, yes, I am going to tell you about the military enlistment bonus scandal. So imagine this. Imagine you are in the military for twenty one years, you've done three deployments, maybe you've even been injured in a roadside bomb blast that left you bleeding or unconscious and you come home and then one day you're going about your business and you know you're trying to have life after the military and you get a letter in the mail from the pentagon saying that you received improperly an enlistment bonus and that you now owe the government forty six thousand dollars how would you feel about that horrible really upset Stanley
2: that's how I felt after going to college and thinking I was gonna get a job paying that much
1: <laughs> so, well, this is exactly what happened to a gentleman named Christopher Van Meter and to nearly 10,000 other National Guard troops in California and also potentially to some other National Guard and military troops actually all over the country that are going to be affected by this, um, who have now been ordered to repay reenlistment bonuses and other incentives that were given to them during the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan after an audit in 2011 uncovered widespread fraud, mismanagement and overpayment by the National Guard. Guard in the state of California and again in other places um as I may have already mentioned, but I don't think I did, the vast majorities of these guardsmen and other military people acted in good faith. They did not have any clue that, that they were being overpaid, uh, according to the L.A. Times, who has been looking about that. And about 9,700 current and retired soldiers have now been told that they need to repay some or all of these bonuses. Um, and, well, I'm going to get to this may now not happen. They may now not have to pay, but I'm going to end with that. So I'm gonna, I just want to give you what was going on and then now what's going on. So that was about a week ago. They were being told, up until about a week ago, they were being told, you have to repay this. Uh, Now, actually, some of these troops have been trying unsuccessfully for years to get out from underneath these debts, and they've also been struggling to repay them. The Los Angeles Times found that requests for help from Congress by the Guard's command have largely went unanswered. So remember that the next time Congress people tout the military and tout how much they love veterans and this, that, and the third— Military guardsmen and veterans have been trying to get these debts relieved by Congress for years without anybody doing anything about it until the L.A. Times broke this story. Now, members of Congress, including Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi, who's a Democrat from California, California, and Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy, who's a Republican from California, are now calling for a legislative fix. Others are also proposing an inquiry into whether the problems recouping the bonuses in the guard stretch beyond California, because as I already mentioned, this may go further than California itself, and they are calling for the Pentagon to immediately cease collection of these bonuses. Now, how did this all come about to begin with? So let's take a step back for a second. Well, the military has long paid reenlistment bonuses and given other incentives like paying repayment of college loans, and the reason they do that is because they want to keep highly trained and desirable personnel in the service. This practice accelerated during Iraq and Afghanistan because They were having a really hard time getting people to sign up to actually want to go to war. Now, you know, we don't have a draft. We have a volunteer military. Less than 1% of people in this country actually serve in the military. So when they have people in the military that are already trained and they already want to serve, they come to you and they say, hey, listen, your enlistment is ending. We would like to keep you in the military. We are going to give you an incentive. We are going to pay you a bonus. We are going to pay your college loans. We are going to do this, that, and the third. And actually, the Rand Corporation did a study, and they found that between two thousand And in 2008, these incentives nearly doubled to $1.4 billion in incentives to keep people in the military because of the fact we don't want to go back to a draft system and we want to keep these highly trained personnel there. Then in 2010, there was a federal inquiry, inquiry done. And what they found was nearly $100 million in improper bonuses might have been paid. The guard says it's closer to $70 million, um, but basically um, the person who was in charge of overseeing the paying of the bonuses, he actually in 2012 pled guilty to approving more than $15 million in fraudulent claims that the guards people who are receiving the bonuses knew nothing about. It was this one guy and some of the people who were working other than to under him that actually approved these bonuses. Um, and then uh, the California National Guard actually asked Congress to pass a bill that would erase these debts in 2014, but the lawmakers saw how expensive it was going to be, and they balked. And they were like, nope, we're going to lose too much money if you guys don't pay us back. Oops, too bad. Um, many soldiers got caught up in this bone in this tobacco. They were unaware they were going to have to reimburse the Guard until until years later. Um, in fact, one person, Brian Struthers, a sergeant in first class, he actually filed a class action lawsuit in February in federal court in sacramento that argued that the members of the guard should not have to repay their bonuses since the filing of his case his lawyer has been inundated with calls from other national guards members in other states so this is more widespread than than california um unfortunately the california national guard does not have the authority to unilaterally waive these debts but congress could pass a law to do this um as soon as they come back into session, there is bipartisan talk between Nancy Pelosi and Speaker Paul Ryan and actually Mitch McConnell about passing legislation that would halt the Pentagon's debt recovery. Um, House members led by Senator, I'm sorry, by House Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy and by Ed Royce, um, who's the chairman of the farm foreign affairs committee sent a letter monday to um ash carter who's the head of the department of defense asking uh them to cease the collections and actually on wednesday after receiving that uh that letter secretary of defense ash carter said that he would suspend all efforts to collect reimbursement from improperly awarded enlistment bonuses given to some members of the guard um but it is estimated that uh two thousand of the fifty four thousand uh People who have already made payments uh, will not be able to redeem those payments that they've already made. And we are still going to wait on Congress because even though Ash Carter has suspended them for now, it really still needs legislation. So at the end of the day, people need to be calling their legislators, uh, whether they're Republicans, whether they're Democrats, especially if they support um, this. And they need to recognize, yes, we as taxpayers are going to have to eat the cost. But that's what we should do because making these veterans have to repay this bonuses that they didn't receive that they should have you know not have received but that they didn't do anything wrong and it was not their fault that they did receive is really wrong and it would be really really wrong of us to make these people pay it back and we should not only not continue to have these people pay it back we should reimburse the people who have already made payments and they should get that money back because if we wrongfully paid them then we should say you know what you get to keep that money. Right. It's
0: definitely time for us to right our wrongs. Thank you for that, Alyssa. And thank you for everyone that tuned in to Let Your Voice Be Heard today, uh, whether that was via live stream, Facebook live stream, uh, listening right on the radio. If you're here in the Harlem community, we appreciate it. Your phone calls, your tweets, and your comments on Facebook. And don't worry, if you want more Let Your Voice Be Heard, subscribe to us via iTunes at LYBBH Radio. That's the acronym for let your voice be heard check us out online at lyvbh.com of course the acronym again and don't worry we'll be back here next sunday god willing right here on whcr 90.3 fm the voice of harlem till then
3: whcr